Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. Now, anyone who's familiar with the System One database will know that one of the best advertisers of all time is Amazon. In fact, Amazon have won Christmas in the UK. They've won the holiday season in the US. They've made some epic Super Bowl campaigns. They've done some very diverse campaigns as well. They have consistently done exceptional work, often getting five-star. So I'm catching up in this episode with the Chief Creative Officer, Joe Shoesmith, who not only runs uh, Amazon's own creative team, but also their network of agencies around the world, delivering both in-house and externally a consistent level of great creativity. I want to find out what is it like being in charge of creative at Amazon, particularly as Jeff Bezos is famous for saying that advertising is the tax you pay on an unremarkable product. So of course I had to ask her about that too. Jo is fantastic. She's got loads of experience. She's really passionate about what she does and she's got lots of good advice to give. Here it is. Jo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I suppose I better ask you, how does a girl from rural Australia end up at the biggest e-commerce platform in the world here in LA? That must be quite a journey to get here. (laughs) How did it happen? It's a very good question. Love is probably the answer. I came with my partner um, many years ago and he's American. We met in Australia and we both worked at Leah Burnett and I got an opportunity to move from the Melbourne office to the mothership in Chicago. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, 18 years ago this week, actually. Is it this week? Wow, this congratulations. Week. Yeah. Uh, very, very impressive. <laughs> how, how, does, how does rural Australia compare to kind of buzzing LA? What, what, what are the differences? Um, you know, I think people are people anywhere. I think for me, growing up in such an isolated country town makes you inevitably really curious about what else is out there. And so I was very drawn to like people, like, you know, just the, a bigger picture than what I'd grown up with. And I get to meet all different types of people. Yeah. No, it sounds a lot of fun. And um, you, you've worked a lot, obviously, in agencies, creative agencies, Leo Burnett particularly, and now you've come client side. How does it compare now you've sort of jumped the proverbial fence, so to speak? I, I actually love it. I mean, it was something I think a lot of agency creatives are really curious about doing, but finding the right role at the right time when you feel like you're ready to take on that challenge. And, and for me, Amazon was such an amazing opportunity to get a chance to just be inside that company and see how it works. And it's it's been in a funny way like being in an agency in that I work on so many different brands within Amazon. I mean, my job is to unify those brands, but it can be one day it's Prime, the next day it's Alexa, the next day we're working on on brand reputation. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of different types of businesses to try and unify. And what advice would you give to agencies now that now that you've kind of seen it from the client side perspective? Is there any top tips you'd give to agencies listening? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think now it it was so uncomfortable for me to be on the other side of pitch tables for the longest time, like just to sit in that seat and hear the conversation that goes on sometimes when you're hearing from the agency. I think I, there were a few cringe moments for me. I remember back to times where words were put in my mouth as a creative that didn't feel comfortable. And you can kind of tell when the creatives have been scripted versus when they're just speaking from their heart. And so my advice would be, let the creatives be the creatives and not try and make them drop specific business words so that they're saying the right thing in the room because you can kind of tell. Um, and I also think don't don't assume in a few-week pitch process that you know more about the business than the people on the other side of the table. And I think I probably did that a bit myself where I came in with a lot of assumptions about how it works and, and, and you know, I think one of the things we often get is people wanting to do stuff to the boxes. And there's such operational complexity to some of those things. And I know I would have come in with an idea to do something crazy to the box that would have had, would have shut down operations. So I think, I think ask questions and, 
and don't assume too much business fluency, but be be bold and come in with ideas that that I think would surprise yeah. the people on the other side of the table. I so love important. that advice about the boxes because it, you're so right. So much of the job as a senior marketer in a business is quite operational, isn't it? And understanding yeah. how the business makes money and how it works and operates. And, yeah. and the communication can can often be an easy, well, not an easy thing. I know it's not an easy thing to do, but can often not, you know, um, address the business aspect of that yeah. you're trying to do, you know, and, and that's any agency I think that's ever presented to me and really understood how the business works is like suddenly like right this is gonna this is gonna work yeah <laughs> so that's a big a big thing um now i must of course it'd be rude of me not to, to quote uh jeff bezos of course as we're talking about advertising his famous quote you must get this all the time so i apologize but uh his old quote advertising is the tax you pay for having an unremarkable product has he officially kind of recanted that or changed his mind no, I mean, I, I actually think he was right. If you, you can't sell a bad product. So you do, I, and I, I think about even from my agency days, trying to make something sell that was fundamentally a flawed experience for customers is never going to work. So I think starting at the, we have to create a good product, we have to make a good experience and being inside those rooms to have those conversations from the, from the very beginning of something being stood up is, is amazing. And, and yes, advertising is how you build love and affinity and, and memories and and recognition, but I I do think he's right in that if you don't start with something good, yeah, no, he's absolutely right. Um, and of course, Scott Galloway recently as well said the CMO will be dead if you've not understood how innovation works and understood you know what what what, what drives business and and all that kind of thing as well. So that's another good another good point. Um, so t- talk to me about um your role within Amazon as Chief Creative Officer. It sounds really exciting, but could describe it for me and how how it works. It is. I mean, it's a very, we're a very collaborative team. So we sit, there's a lot of high judgment and leaders that kind of work together and and creativity doesn't just live in the creative department. I think I, and much like I liked working like that when I was agency side is we have really smart strategy leads. We have really smart CMO and we kind of make collective decisions together. Um, I think as I said, any day can be different. There's so many different things. We're always building something new and we're always I think one of the things that's really amazing is how quickly we can pivot. And I think that was, that it was one of the things that I think people say that about the agency model is it's been hard at times to like change the model. I think we are able to make a decision and move on it really fast um, because of the, you think about how operationalize, how we operationalize things, we can operationalize change really quickly. So to sit in those seats and see us looking to customers and looking to what's going on in the world and being able to change direction to do the right thing for the business is pretty exciting. Yeah. Because actually, you're right, actually, because Amazon is a huge operation and yet yeah. famous for delivering something to your door in hours if yeah. you want it. So I suppose you've been able to crack scale and agility, agility at the same time. And does that play out when you're talking about creative as well? Yeah. Your ability to move fast. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the creatives I've brought in-house are the creatives who are really good at thinking on their feet. And are really comfortable with pivots and are okay with the idea of this is not the last good idea I've, I'm going to have. Like know that they can start again, um, which is a big, I think that's always the big challenge with creativity is being able to move on sometimes from your idea, knowing that we're all headed in a different direction and we all need to go there for all the right smart reasons. 
Now, one thing that strikes me looking at the data on on your performance using the System One data is um, you, you've done incredibly successful, emo- particularly emotional advertising. And I suppose that you know anyone looking at the business would assume that you're very rational and data led and you know platform business. Why is it that the business has become particularly kind of engaged in kind of emotional uh, brand building advertising? I think it definitely has been a shift over the last few years. We've you know I, I joined. I, I literally joined as the world shut down with COVID, through COVID. And so our our story started to change as the world was changing. And the first big, I think about the first big emotional story we told was the show must go on, the ballerina holiday spot, which is a, which really touched on how people were feeling and what was going on in the world. And, and when you think of us being a customer-centric company, we're telling the stories of the people that buy our products. And so it, 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 it just kind of makes sense. And I think it's part of our journey. When you think about how old we are as a brand, we're not a Coca-Cola. We're like, we're, we're, we're young. We're, we're an infant when you think about it that way. And so the inevitable stage we're at is where, you know, people want to hear our story and they want to know what we believe and who we are. And, and they want to see their stories reflected back at them. Yeah, no, the story is incredible. And as I said, looking at System 1 data, you, you've often scored at the very, very top of our five-star system. And in fact, uh, I think you've won two Christmases in a row, if I remember rightly, uh, both in the US and the UK, which is incredible. Um, one of the um, ones I know stuck in my mind a lot, actually, was the the one from a couple of years ago, Smiling Parcels, where you had that beautiful story of, of the delivery driver getting all the parcels in time just before holiday, you know, the holiday break. And actually, there's something quite powerful as well about the Smiling Parcel device device as well that was quite you know because it made it instantly recognizable so so how are the distinctive assets what's the role that they play in in the creative as well very we're really thoughtful about it it is it's very intentional we have guidelines around like making sure that we show that part of the experience it's it's i mean we have this box that's so universally recognized and has a smile on it i mean who wouldn't want to play with that right we're a brand that's logo is a smile and to have that box and to have that equity and with all the studies that we've done, it like it's off the charts, the recognition for that. And I think it's even, we talk about what you can own as a brand and colour is actually really hard to own. There are very few brands that own a colour, but to have such a specific, such an iconic item that's connected to our brand that we can weave into storytelling and gives us that immediate brand attribution is a huge asset. Yeah. And it runs across products as well, doesn't it? Because every time that's Amazon Prime or on Alexa or, you know, in Avid, it's on the boxes, it's everywhere, isn't it? It just gets that instant uh, brand recognition. Going I always think like, cardboard is one of our colors. Yeah. yeah. In a way. People yeah, well, the app, is, the app as well, cardboard. isn't it? The app yeah. is cardboard as well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, another thing that struck me as well about your advertising is how inclusive it is as well. I mean, one of my personal favourites is the priest and imam work that you did, which is incredible. I mean, it's all about storytelling, but also very rich in diversity, uh, in telling very different people's stories, but bringing them together. I thought that was an astonishing bit of work. Yeah, and it's finding this, it's finding the right story. It's not about, I think, not about being provocative for provocative's sake and and not just jumping in on every conversation, making sure there are certain conversations that we have permission to step into. And I think it's not, it's how that, that was a human story, such a lovely human story. And there was a role for, we had a role in it, but we weren't taking too much credit for it. So being very thoughtful about what our role within the stories is, how it's an ena- how we're an enabler of those relationships and of those wins for customers. Yeah. And, and of course, can't forget the grandmas at Christmas as well in yes. the in your UK spot was amazing. I mean, I think that one, that one, the, the system one charts as well. Yeah. Um, My mum loved it. 
This yeah. is one of my tests. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, it just, it just, it would win the mum test, wouldn't it? I mean, totally. it, like, who can't imagine their grands, you know, sledging down a hill? Interesting. It won the generational test. I think it's interesting the debates around. You know, that we also we don't see a lot of women of that age acting recklessly, which is exactly the kind of woman I want to grow up to be, which is like very spirited. But what we saw in the comments was young women say, sending notes to their girlfriends saying, "I want that to be me." And then a slightly older women saying, oh, I hope my mum, I want to do that with my mum. And then older women saying, I want to do that with my girlfriend. So it really struck a chord of women depicted in a way that we're probably more used to seeing men being reckless when it comes to storytelling. Women who felt real. They didn't feel like they were perfect and Botoxed within an inch of their life. So their faces were real. There was texture to them. And I, it did. It spoke on so many levels to it was a real universal human truth, wasn't it? And yeah. I, th- I think I, I immediately saw my gran there or, or people I know. In that's that, right. Men that saw a lot in yeah. it as well. They totally, were like, that's yeah. my mum. That's yeah. like, they, there was, yeah. it just gave you hope that there is chapter and, that, and, and just reminded you of the people that are important and those long relationships. The moment that gets me all verklempt is when the flashback happens and you're yeah. in that moment of them when they were young and this sense of a shared experience that can last for that long is yeah. lovely. Oh, and magical. a Beatles track. Yes, no I know. Music was brilliant. I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, that, that, that's what I think your work does so well is it just lands all the things that makes advertising emotive, makes it effective in terms of music and story and characters. All those things are beautifully done. Um, but let's go back to the brief then. So it, you, know, you must get a lot of briefs passing through your desk. So what's your advice on how to write a really good brief that's going to get you to some of the work that we've, we've been talking really about? Really good strategists, really smart people writing strategy. We have, um, we've we had a much smaller team. We've been building a really good bench in-house of great strategic thinkers that can can rethink the briefing formats and also comms planning so that we know what every piece is supposed to do because I think that can be a bit of a mistake where we try and burden the TV spot has to do everything. And be, we're very clear now about a full channel strategy and and making sure that we're we're telling the right stories in the right places and those have been those have been tools that we've built over the last few years that have been really helpful and how do you when it comes to like judging the work as well because you must have to make a lot of decisions on what gets made um how do you approach that we use a lot of tenants as you know that's a bit of an amazon yeah. thing and so when i joined and 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 being from agency side i participated in like the Mullen Lowe Creative Council and the Leah Burnett GPC, and I wanted to create something like that internally. So we have a, something called the BAR, which is an acronym, of course, for the brief, the action, and the result, and we bring people from the globe together. And in those sessions, we have written and then crafted and tweaked a set of tenants that really help inform creative decision-making so that so that it can scale because a lot of people that are making creative decisions aren't creatives as well, as you can imagine. In some of our emerging locales, they might have a smaller team and how do we all get on the same page about what good is and how to pick the idea? And so that's been a really good scaling tool for like creative judgment and just to unify our point of view on yeah. what. And can you break that down a little bit more in terms of some some of the things that form that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've used one in, I mean, customer customers first, I, like keep it true, which is interesting because originally that tenant was keep it real. And everyone started thinking all of the, it affected how they crafted the footage because everything was starting to look raw and real and underproduced. But actually it was about find a truth, keep the idea true, don't make something up. Um, Join the conversation when you have something to say, right? Don't just jump into a topic just because it's trending. And, And for us, it's especially important to make sure that we're really thinking about what conversations make sense for us to join. Um, craft is king, you know. And we share these with our agencies too because I think it's really important for the agency to see we've all internally agreed 
this is what good looks like for us. And when you're thinking about the idea, think about does it pass the sniff test of some of these? And some of them relate to the brief. Some of them relate to the craft of the work. So, you know, they're, they're, they, they have bigger impact on different parts of the process. Now, one of the advantages you've got as Amazon is that you've got a very talented in-house creative team and you work with a lot of the world's best agency partners. And um, What are the benefits of having your own creative team in-house? Because it's one of those hot topics, isn't it, that everyone's got an opinion about, should you have your own team or should you outsource? And, look, and I remember being agency side and that tension of like the in-house teams joining the... And, and yeah. it's, again, it's one of those things I look back on and go, oh my God, was I awful in that moment? moment. But, you know, I think I think there's so much benefit to sitting inside the walls and being able to make creative choices based on more information, right? You, you're closer to the business problem and you understand it and you know who to call if you've got a question. And so being inside and, and I've built a team of our internal team are all people who are one liar and so they're great high bar creatives. They're not, I'm not delineating certain work goes to agencies, certain work goes internally. We have a lot of work to go around. And so I have an internal team that do really high bar creative work. And then it's really important that we have agencies to give us that fresh outside perspective. And they should, they all click together. They're extensions of the same team. And the agencies that are really successful with us are the ones that are really comfortable with that kind of co-creation model. I think about when we did like the Michael B. Jordan Super Bowl ad, we worked with Lucky Generals to do the spot and then the internal team did a whole social activation where Kevin Hart was annoyed that he hadn't been chosen as the party oh, of elector and then he's ribbing Michael B. Jordan. Yep. And so putting those two things together and then another team at Amazon had a movie coming out with Michael B. So, so much of my job is getting everyone to figure out how to work together in the way that's really productive, which when you're at an agency, it's probably the equivalent of a global pitch where you have the agency from Italy or the agency from Australia and the multicultural agency and you have to sit as the creative leader at the centre of that and make everyone feel heard and that they're contributing and that their point of view is really valued. Now, that's quite a task, isn't it? Yeah. What's the secret it's to getting... It's lots of plates. All, and also we're talking about, you know, people with, you know, strong opinions, you know, very motivated, may yeah. have high egos as well. How do you manage all those all those people and to get to the right result. Yeah, I mean I'd be lying if I said there aren't tricky moments with everyone, but I think any any room full of people that come from a art and commerce perspective and trying to get that's a big part of the job. It's kind of what I love about it too. It's like not that it's I'm trying to think of the right word. So much of it is just helping everyone figure out each other's super strengths and like reminding people this is why we're here. Big picture. Like let's just take a step up and like let's forget we talk a lot about it's don't write your narrative, write the narrative. And remember that it's not just about your point of view and taking a step up from that. And we have a lot of really great agency relationships where we've recently done a lot of work on Prime with Widen and Kennedy in London and that work has been very much a co-creation model and it's yeah. been terrific. You've got an amazing roster as well. It's yeah. incredible. So you get to tap into some amazing talent out there as well as obviously, you know, yeah. uh, employing your own. Um, and also another related question is that how do you manage the sort of global plan versus the local plan? Because there must be some, is, is well, maybe there's not, but is there tension between what the local markets want to do and what you might decide to do globally? It's interesting. I think my background, I really benefit from having sat in Melbourne getting the global work and being told just to run it and being the person that's going, no one's going to like that ad that doesn't talk to the Australian sense of humour or sensibility, but just being told to run it. And so I can imagine that seat, but I'm now sitting in the US so I can think about what it's like to have that perspective and and how do we give, 
how do we think about freedom within a framework? How do we give rules but still allow things to feel really local? And I get to and, and having that benefit of worked in a, you know APAC and understanding India and Europe and yeah, it's been it's been really helpful. Now you talked about Michael B. Jordan spot last year. I must ask you as well: what, what's it like making a Super Bowl ad? Does it bring extra pressure? Uh, you know, or, or is it just? It does, but I think I think with those high, I mean, high risk in that there are a lot of eyeballs decisions. Yeah. We're really good at simplifying the decision makers and it's not a hundred people in a room. I think we've gotten to a place where we make sure that who there's high judgment involved in that. We're not testing it to within an inch of its life. And I think that really shows in the work, in the simplicity of the ideas, in the universal humor of it. I think that between even last year's Saving Soil where we stepped away from celebrity, we really tried to make sure that it still had a really simple human story at the heart of it. And I think I think that just comes from judgment of lots of smart people in a room together. It, it does. I, I think you call that absolutely right, actually, because I mean, we, we, we've been testing um, every Super Bowl lab for the last five years, actually. And one of the things that uh, is very true is that simple stories well told always win it's like everyone's trying to engineer so much into it you know too many cultural references celebrity after celebrity well and, and we, we paid know, this much for this person so they must have this them, much yeah. time on air and so <laughs> yeah, you end up with an extra shot at the end that makes no yeah, sense like yeah yeah i agree i think but i also think that we now have made a lot of work and know the ingredients as well so like you'll see the purchase moment the box moment like the, the, there's there's patterns that appear in everything and you're right it's all centered around the product whether it's a story about alexa losing her voice or whether it's a story about a new body of alexa it's very you're, you're not going to forget what the brand in is in it no actually we, we looked at the data at um uh, well first thing we noticed is we, we divided up all the all the super bowl data for the last five years into celebrity celebrity led uh, ideas and non-celebrity led ideas zero difference in the score now, so it, it really comes down to how you use them. Now, if you use them authentically to tell the story, then then you can kind of do well. But celebrity itself, you know, given I think about 60% of ads have got celebrities in at the Super Bowl. So it's kind of like this, you know, that's now standard. Sort of yeah, thing. and um, it's a shame. <laughs> it is, it is, isn't it? But the, the other thing I think you've done really well is we, we, we call them fluent devices, System 1, which is kind of familiar uh, assets to your brand, uh, so to speak. And that's what you do well, whether it's Alexa or the parcels. You don't have to shout very loudly that it's you and people just get it. And uh, we found, I think, uh, there's a whole star rating difference between those that had fluent devices like M&M's characters or the Clydesdales versus those that don't. You know, it makes a massive difference. Yeah. No, it's right. I feel really lucky that we have those assets. But then there's a lot of discipline around where they come up, how long they're up, making sure that they that people, yeah. they register for sure. Yeah. I, I must ask you as well, what do you think of Timu then? Because obviously a competitor of yours. Yeah, they went big in the Super Bowl They went Bowl big, didn't year. they? Yeah. I, I, and, I, th- I thought I'd re-round or something. I was like, in the first ad break, I'm like, oh, there they are. And yeah. the next, I'm like, hang Did on Did I jump minute. backwards? Is, is, like, is how there... often does a new entry? <laughs> just, hang on a minute. Have I just, have I just yeah. hit rewound or something? Yeah. It was incredible, wasn't it? It was. Whenever a brand shows up multiple times in the game, you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I must ask you about innovation as well, because obviously Amazon's famous for its kind of culture of innovation and scale. How does that, how does that come to life in the business? I mean, I it, you're definitely surrounded by, I think someone said to me, you should take the job where you're the dumbest person in the room. I often feel like that. I often feel <laughs> like I that. Can I apply <laughs> I straight away? I'll, so I'll I, be there. I think that is a big part of the de- decision make I made to come to Amazon because I met Simon Morris and Claudine Cheever and Neil Lindsay and all these people that were really 
really smart and, and had business fluency and creative fluency and, and it's amazing to meet people who can kind of left brain, right brain that way. And creativity is kind of everywhere because to invent a new product, to build a new piece of tech, you have to be really creative. Jeff's a really creative person, right? Being an entrepreneur and building, having the foresight to build the business that he built um, is amazing. But it also, you know, I think about, I talked about the boxes one of the more exciting projects I've loved working on is a project we call Chariot, which is taking an observation we made that we have the world's largest out-of-home network driving on the streets and at your doorstep. So the boxes and the vans is a canvas to do to work with. And so in the last couple of years, we've started bringing our personality to those surfaces and gotten a really great response. So being able to think about, okay, what what are the opportunities? What are the canvases we can use? And not in a way that, again, doesn't show down, doesn't slow down the operations of the business, but that's really inventive and it gives us a whole new space to work with. Yeah. And how, how, do, you, how do you take those ideas and, and make them happen in, in a business of your size? I mean, I was talking about earlier, you've obviously perfected the art of getting lots of things to the customer very quickly, which is your kind of Jedi, you know, master skill, isn't it? But how do you then deliver new ideas within the business yourself? Yeah, it takes lots of conversations with lots of different people who have lots of different backgrounds and expertise. So you're talking to the fleet people to do something on a vehicle or on a box. So you're, it's interesting in that I think it forces a way of talking about ideas that everyone can understand, which is a really good skill to have because I think often we can talk about ideas in a lofty way that just doesn't feel plain spoken enough. And I think if if I think about what I've learned, one of the biggest things I've learned is how to talk to an idea in a way that's super relatable to anyone within the organization. And then, and then know that it doesn't, the idea is only a tiny part of actually making it happen. There's so many amazing people that operationalize and deploy that work for it to even see the light of day. There's definitely a skill, isn't there? I mean, it's something I've tried to work on quite hard is, is how do you take something complex and simplify it in a way that everybody can get it and, and, and buy into it and understand it? And there's definitely an art to that, isn't there? It's maybe better at, study, at reviewing ideas because I'm always thinking about how, how do I simplify, simplify. And I'm doing that every day, talking to teams, going, how do I make sure that this person who's an engineer or works in the fleet has understands why we're making the kind of choices that we're making? Yeah. And it's true, actually, because I think sometimes as marketers, we forget that actually we've got to market within the organization as well. It's, yeah. it's one thing marketing outside, but nothing will happen unless we can market our own, you know, our own ideas internally. On board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be your top tips for, for doing that? You know, I, don't, I think, listen right? Understand their side of the the equation. Like, don't just come in trying to force your hand because things, there are ideas I've had where I'm like, it's the best idea ever. And there's just no way it can happen. So actually listening to feasibility when someone talks to you about why or why we should and shouldn't do this is a big part of it and being able to let go when you need to or be patient because sometimes it's not an idea for right now, but it's an idea for two years down the track. And so knowing that sometimes you just have to park something and it'll come back and have another life. Oh, the patience is a good the one, isn't patience. it? That, that is a really good one. I know some of the most successful things I've done have taken a while to work, but oh. I'm so glad I didn't give up on them, you know, because sometimes you've got to almost do the under the radar, well, I, I find anyway, you've got to do the under the radar ideas where you kind of work on them for a while. Yeah. You don't really make a big noise until you know, I've got enough evidence now, this is going to uh, work. My know? longest <laughs> my longest process was in my time at Leo Burnett, I worked on um, the graduated driving laws when I worked on Allstate. And it was about changing a bill to change the laws because in America, there's no such thing as a learner license plate. So you can't tell a learner driver. And so 11 teens were dying every day on the roads in America because there is no, there were no restrictions 
around their driving. And so it took five years. And so for me as an Australian, I definitely learned how a bill becomes a law, right? So I learned that process of how do you take something that will help save lives and it was written into about four different bills and it just took a lot of time and we were working with like like lobbyists and it was it was probably the best lesson in patience for me. And the reward on the other side is it's now like save seven. So every day the reduction of deaths on the road based on just not being able to have as many passengers in the car and only driving in certain hours, which rolled out across America. But even even the framing of what you said is very clever, isn't it? Just by putting a name and against the number of fatalities suddenly hits home, doesn't it? You go, well, why wouldn't I want to buy into that idea? Because if it can reduce that number of 11, of course you would. And we worked with the parents who'd lost children. So it was like a really, it was a really heavy process, but you could feel, again, it was, for me, it was a, we don't have L plates in America and now I have a teen driver. So she's now curfew. She's got all the restrictions that were put in place because of that process. So yeah, those, those moments are meaningful, but also did make me go, don't give up. You just got to keep Sometimes things are a longer road. Yes, yeah, you'll keep going until your moment happens and it eventually, eventually comes true. Well, I mean, sticking with that theme maybe, so what would, as you look back on your career, what would be the the, the, the bits of work that you're most proud of? I mean, that obviously sounds like one of them, but what, what would you be most proud of? I mean, there's a lot. I think I've mentioned that I think turning the the boxes and vans into the world's out-of-home, largest out-of-home yeah. network has been an amazing accomplishment because it's figuring out the logistics and the creative on that and keeping that well, that's, that That's interesting. So how, okay, so how many, what, presumably vans did you have to brand in well, that case? I mean, all of them. I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? <laughs> like across the country. <laughs> I mean, and so we change it out every quarter. And I mean, I've done a few like sales team on them, vans yeah, in my like time, full, but that is like, yeah, that's national. huge, isn't it? Yeah, and we're scaling that. So it's, yeah, that's been yeah. a huge undertaking. I mean, I work, I've worked on really fun projects. I think about, I think about all the conversations about Gen Z right now. And when I first came to America, I'd worked on a lot of global business. So I kind of thought I'd work on that immediately. And, and I got, I worked on, everyone said, no, no, you at Leo Burnett, work on Allstate insurance. And I'm like, insurance? And they're like, no, 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 ins- the insurance category is blowing up. This is 18 years ago, blowing up all the best works being done on insurance, which you can imagine I was quite sceptical that I'd worked on Nintendo and, you know, brands I thought would be just, you inherently think are more fun. And then I started seeing the Geico ads and you just started, I started seeing the work. I'm like, okay, this is the new beer category as people described it. And so I got to work on, you know, Mayhem was a great moment of saying, like we are now, how do you find that new customer? How do you find that younger customer for insurance? So we invented the Mayhem character, who was a great, he was a great like representation of all the risks and the vulnerabilities, but presented in a way that really talked to that younger customer who felt invincible, right? And so, and everyone's now chasing Gen Z and how do you make a conversation with Gen Z? So it's fairly cyclic, but yeah, that that's a piece of work I'm, I'm really proud of. I think we, I also worked at Amazon on um, a, a piece of film around our all-female fulfillment centres in India, which was amazing to meet these women who had been through these jobs that the fulfillment centres are managed by women, only women working in the centres who had a safe place to work, who had financial independence that they'd never even imagined having and the life change of that to be able to have that independence brought to them by jobs and documenting that story 
was really beautiful too. Well, I suppose you've got a massive internal audience as well, haven't you? I mean, you, you just Amazon employees must be like a a, a major country. I would, I, and <laughs> in, there's in a million stories. There's like the the fulfillment center that was put on the border of the Ukraine in exactly the right spot to deploy relief when yeah. the war broke out, um, and so and that's the operational the yeah, speed yeah. with which people did that. And now we're building a fulfillment center in Australia, which really proud of for like think about bushfires and yeah. national like natural disasters so i could i could spend all my time yeah. writing amazing stories about all the things we do we don't tend we tend to do them because they're the right thing to do you don't yeah. do them so that you can talk about them but it's, it's, a good thing it's amazing amongst us, amongst us do often forget that, that they, they often own quite a big media themselves like you say the distribution network or your yeah. employees as advocates i mean yeah. we, we forget we spend so much time thinking about consumer but actually sometimes your your, your own customer can be you know a yeah. very big one um must quickly talk about ai because like well because it it's seems rude not to, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> you must have a point of view on AI. No. But um, to what extent is AI transforming how Amazon does business? And also, do you think it will have any impact on how you do your work in the future? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, we use a, a lot of AI within products. So, I mean, making sure that a product doesn't leave the fulfillment center broken so that we're actually making sure that we're assuring that the customer experience is really great. Thinking about like AWS with the NFL and helping coaches use AI to work out plays where their players will get less injured. That's amazing applications embedded into product and technology. On the creative side of it, there's definitely um, an efficiency where it actually creates more time for creatives to think. And even as we're t- we were talking that it's also a new tool for creativity. So there's yeah. so many ways. So I think, I think you're right in that you have to think about the two sides. I think it's really quick to jump to being super efficient about it, but also as Coca-Cola or as certain brands are doing, like how do we get really imaginative and creative with it and use it to do never been done before ideas mm. is pretty exciting too. It's been it's been a funny kind of experience to go through the last sort of 12, 18 months. Although I say 12, 18 months, it's funny. I met um I met uh, the woman who's got the most well funded AI AI business in the planet, and I, I was asking, oh, it must be great. Suddenly, let's everyone's talking about you, kind of thing. Yeah. And she goes, I've been working on this for eighteen years. That's <laughs> she goes, the, she goes, this is not new. That's like, the, that's the like, Amazon okay. thing too. Whenever I say it's new, people are like. This is not new this to Amazon. New. We've been yeah. doing this for a very long time. Somebody has just found a way of simplifying it and talking to the world about it in ChatGPT. That's and right. That's what's happened is we've suddenly gone, oh, that's what it is. You know, it's been, it's been democratized, yeah, right? Yeah. It's Yeah, it's definitely it, the the access to it has has changed the conversation. But you're right. There's a lot of really smart people who this is not a new, yeah, not yeah. new tech. I mean, I think she talks about it. It's been like Game of Thrones. It's been winter for a long time, but at last summer's coming. That's, that's right. how she described it. At last, people <laughs> okay. are talking about what I've been doing all this time. Um, as you look back on your career, I'd love to know what advice would you give like a young version of yourself setting out today um, in terms of the kind of career you've had? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, jumping off cliffs for me coming to America was a pretty big cliff yeah. to jump off and yeah. to not have any familiarity with brands, which turned out to be a great thing because I have, I come to a brand with no bias. I, I didn't grow up with IHOP when I worked on IHOP or I didn't grow up with certain brands that I can just have a really fresh perspective on. And as a creative, you're always wanting to learn new things. The first two briefs I got on Allstate was college football and NASCAR. Two sports oh. I knew, and so I was, I was going, going to say, coming to Na- from Australia, that no, quite, no <laughs> idea. And then, so that was when I had to walk into a meeting, and go, "What is tailgating?" And yeah. like, fi- yeah. total. So for a creative, it's exciting because yeah. you get to jump into all these new experiences and learn really quickly, which I think is what we all feed off. Um, so I definitely think take risks and jump off cliffs. I yeah. think, I think 
as I said before, um, take the job where you're the stupidest person in the room. Surrounding yourself with really smart people who in many ways intimidate you is a really good thing to do because the minute you're the smartest person in the room, I think you might need to leave the room. So that is, I love that advice because I, I, I certainly for me at least, I've always felt I had to know the answer yeah. and I couldn't possibly do a job until I'm qualified. And I swear it held me back because like yeah. earlier in my career, I was like, well, you do this, then you do that. And then whew, I couldn't possibly start my own business, you know, because I, I don't know how to do that or this. Yeah. And the, the, the old phrase, you know, jump and the net will appear is so true, isn't it? Like yeah. when you jump yourself in there, you, you're forced to kind of work it out, ask questions, yeah. you know, go and do the research. And then suddenly it, it does all start to work out. Yeah. I also love that quote of don't be so busy making a living, uh, building building a living that you don't make a life. Yeah. And right. And so I, for me, balance is, I mean, I've got two kids, two dogs. It's all a mess as everyone who, you, you know, everyone who lives in that moment of teenagers and children and chaos yeah. and work and a partner that works. And, but like making sure that you're thinking about what fills up your bucket. Right. Yeah. So the things that fill up my bucket are hiking and my kids and my life. And so it, I think it can be it can be fairly all consuming, our industry, and people can get very tunnel vision about the work, the work, the work. And I think the work gets better if you have the life. Oh, so so true. It's funny, isn't it? That sometimes the resolutions of complex problems and the creative ideas, most of those things don't happen while you're in the meeting, do they? They <laughs> happen on the hiking trail or That's with right. the kids or on a drive or, you know. Yeah, or, it's a marathon, a rest. not a sprint, yeah. right? And yeah. so, and I do think our industry, I think, has gotten better, but when I think about when I joined, it might not have been the healthiest industry. There was a lot of very long lunches and it was it was just a very different culture. I think now, and especially with the generation coming up, they really value the travel, the time off, the, the things outside of work that make them good at the things inside of work. And I, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think that's the perfect place to end. And I love that that final piece of advice. I think it's really inspiring. Joe. thank you so much for sharing all that. It's been great to spend some time together. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening or watching Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please do hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching, hit subscribe there as well. I'd also love to get a review. Reviews make a big difference on other people discovering the show. So please do leave a review wherever you get your podcast. If you want to contact me, you can do. I'm over on X at Uncensored CMO or on LinkedIn where I'm under my own name, John Evans. Thanks for listening and watching. I'll see you next time.